Don't touch that dial. You've tuned in to The Great TV Podcast with Jim Harold. Whether they're current or classic, let's talk about the best shows ever made. Welcome to The Great TV Podcast. I am Jim Harold, and so glad to be with you once again. And today we have another TV legend, Loretta Swit of mash fame i think you will enjoy the interview but first i want to ask you to please subscribe wherever you listen rate and review the shows share it on social media share it with your friends who you think might be interested because we want this show to catch and we want to continue producing it but to do that we have to have an audience and we want to see that audience grow so uh i think we're bringing the goods to the table we're bringing great guests they've got great comments great insight to classic tv and uh, the people who are listening enjoy it. We just need more of them. So please do spread the word because we focus our energies on the shows that uh, really people say they want by, by the download numbers. And we want to continue this project. So it's imperative if you want to see it continue to please, please, please rate, review, and most importantly, subscribe wherever you listen. That'll move us up on the charts and we can continue to do the great TV podcast for years to come. We thank you so much. And now, with no further ado, the legendary Loretta Swit. Well, today is a red letter day. We have uh, a legendary guest, and she really created one of the legendary characters in the history of television. I'm talking about the character of Major Margaret Hot Lips Houlihan, and none other than that classic <laughs> TV series, MASH. The woman that you're hearing there is the one and only Loretta Swit. And we are so <laughs> pleased to have her on the line. And we're going to talk about some things she's doing today, including her recent book, Switheart, the Watercolor Artistry and Animal Activism of Loretta Swit. And there she is. Loretta, welcome to the program today. <laughs> there she is giggling in the background. <laughs> well, that's good. That's yes. good. No, she's a happy camper. Hello. How nice of you to invite me to talk to you. Oh, how nice of you to take time. I certainly appreciate it. Well, uh, I want to get to MASH, but I just have to ask you a little bit about uh, this current project, and we'll circle back to it at the end. But tell us a little bit about Switheart. What is Switheart? Well, the full title of the book, the subtitle is, <laughs> it, it is Switheart, and it chronicles here, the watercolor artistry and animal activism activism of Loretta Swit. Sweetheart is um, obviously a play on my name, not not um, sweetheart, but Swit. Swit, that's me, heart. <laughs> and years ago, uh, if you're um, familiar at all, uh, Beverly Hills, Beverly Hills, we had this glorious boutique called Giorgio's. It became a very famous perfume. Well, that yellow and white awning just a landmark in Beverly Hills. Frankly, I still miss it. But Fred Heyman, who owned it, was a dear friend. And uh, people would just drop in to the store because it was so much fun. He had a pool table. He had a bar. You could have a cappuccino, play a game of pool. It was a visit. And he, of course, carried gorgeous things, gorgeous clothing. Anyway, Fred and I were dear friends. He had a beautiful German shepherd that I adored. And I'd walk into the store and he would spot me and say, there's my sweetheart. And I, <laughs> I just, I thought, oh my gosh, what a wonderful play on words. I must remember that. So when I caught up to the electronic part of my life, 
I began using it as my addresses and my hashtags and, you know, so that's where sweetheart comes from. I always credit my dear friend now gone to, uh, I give him the credit for that wonderful play on words. So that's what I'm up to. This is, um, a labor of love. I worked with a, a brilliant publisher, Mies Hora, and uh, Mies happened to be with me on a private plane. I was flown into um, Florida for an award. The American Red Cross gave me a humanitarian award. And um, on the way back, I was working on some things on my iPad, and he saw, he was my seat companion, he saw some of my paintings. And he said, whoa, 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 wait, what is that? What is that? I said, oh, it's my, um, my watercolors. And you did that? I said, yes. He said, you, there is, do you, this is a book. <laughs> I said, oh, <laughs> yes. He said, you want to do a book? I want to do that. I want to, I, everybody should see this, you know? So that's where it was born. This little germ of an idea. Mies was very taken by my work. And, um, We've been uh, friends ever since and work, work comrades. We got along very well. As a matter of fact, we know each other so well, we have a running gag. This is a very interesting name, Mies, M-I-E-S, Ora, H-O-R-A, Mies, Ora. And it, to me, it sounded Dutch. And a few times I introduced him that way. It's a, I would say it's a Dutch name, Mies, Ora. And finally, after two or three times me said, by the way, Lorette, I'm, I'm Czech. I'm not Dutch. And I said, Oh, I, I thank you for telling me. Okay. You're Czech. And, uh, we, as I say, got along famously. We always agreed on what we were doing. And when we, when we had two different trains of thought, we always were able to compromise. So after he told me that we went through a period of, um, his saying one thing and my saying the other and and uh, the twain was about to meet but i just thought it was terribly funny to say to him you know we never argued when you were dutch <laughs> I, I liked you better <laughs> i liked you better when you were dutch i love that i liked you better when you were dutch so we always yeah every once in a while i will say that say that to him in um in in palm springs we did um we did several book signings and, and things. And one day we all left with little, little paper cups of a little wine, a little red wine. I was in white, which is always dumb to wear if you're drinking red wine. And he took it from me as I got into the car so that I wouldn't spill it. And he put it into the little pocket in the car door so that I, you know, was not going to I'm going to be reddened. <laughs> and he proceeded to slam the door so that it vesuviused all, all, all over me. And so he said, oh, my God, oh, my God, what have I done? I opened the door and I said, I liked you better when you were You're Dutch. Dutch. <laughs> I had, my, clothes, my clothes were cleaner. <laughs> anyway, so, so we have a wonderful working relationship, and he's a very dear man. We actually did an interview about the book together today. You know, I was going to ask you about Match and come back to this, but I heard a little friend back there, so I might as well ask you oh, yes. about the other part <laughs> of this. The The big part is that it is to benefit animals, and that's very important to you. Can you talk about that aspect of your life? Sure. The proceeds of the book go into 
the Sweetheart Animal Alliance Foundation, which hopefully will act like a hub. I, I want to bring together all the organizations that I've worked with over the years, put us on the same page so that we're helping each other and, you know, uh, assisting each other. For I'll give you a small example, Farm Sanctuary, to which I am devoted. My friend, Jean Bauer, co-founder, and they um, have several beautiful sanctuaries where I go and uh, feed the turkeys for Thanksgiving. It's a little bit of a reverse order because we feel <laughs> we feel that uh, we're here to take care of the animals. And uh, my, my turkeys are my friends. They're not my food. So I'm a vegan, by the way. All right. So here we are, Farm Sanctuary. We have several programs there for, let's say, let's say $12 a month, we can feed a goat, let's say. So Sweetheart Animal Alliance Foundation will do a couple of those programs. We'll, we'll do a goat, we'll do uh, $15 for a cow, we'll do $20 for uh, a sow, or, you know, and that will be our contribution that year or for five years or whatever to that particular organization. Same thing with the exotics at the wildlife way station. It, the, it covers a spectrum of all different animals. I'm vice president of Actors and Animals, which is the, the main office is in California. Actors and Animals, uh, no, it's Actors. It's, it's Actors and Others for Animals. And uh, we have a uh, fundraiser yearly and we will uh, sell the books, for example, and uh, I will do some paintings that will auction off. Or so it's all about putting us all together, raising funds to help animals of all kinds and globally. No favoritism, <laughs> and so that's that's the whole idea behind the foundation. Now, I want to pivot and talk a little bit about your work. I mean, uh, obviously, most people know you for MASH, but you've been uh, extremely, uh, before MASH and, and after MASH, very active on the stage. How did MASH happen for you? How did you, how did you get that role? Uh, it's kind of, I'll have to backpedal a bit. How did I get to California to be there to get that <laughs> role? Uh, yes, 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 you're right. I was on stage. I never contemplated anything else. However, I've been an actor for a long time. When I was studying and a, a little neophyte actor, television was in its infancy in New York. I was in New York working off-Broadway, off-off-Broadway. Television then was what? Captain Kangaroo, which by the way, I did. But it was Dave Garraway. It was, you know, you, you didn't have, that's right, you had maybe one, uh, The Naked City was uh, something that actors pursued to be a guest on The Naked City, that kind of thing. All right, so now we segue into my getting a wonderful job that took me to Las Vegas to do two shows a night. Uh, it, it was called the tab version of MAME. And they cut it down so you could do two back-to-back -back shows. And my great MAME was the wonderful Susan Hayward, who oh, wow. became a very dear friend. Yes, I was her little Agnes Gooch. <laughs> and it's very, very early in my career. And uh, I first did a tour and then, and then we uh, were sought after to do the Las Vegas version. When I finished after doing, that's a lot of work. It's 24 seven 
and two shows a night. So I had done a play with uh, this gal who lived in Hollywood. And she called me. She said, must you rush right back? Why don't you come and spend a couple of weeks relaxing in California? And who knows, maybe meet some people out here, maybe get some television work. So at that point in time, yes, we're into the late 60s. You had Gunsmoke. You had Mannix. You had Divorced American Style. You had all those shows going. So I did stay with her for a couple of weeks. And I actually did meet a casting director who was looking through my book. And she said, I know you. I know you. I said, no, I'm, you don't know me. I'm nobody. Trust me. You don't know me. <laughs> and she saw me. She saw a picture of me doing Agnes Gooch with Susan. And she said that, yes, I do know you, Missy. She said there was, uh, in fact, what you should do while you're here is call him. There was an agent who came to, you know, bargain with her about her, his clients who had just seen the show and was raving about me. She said, I was so impressed because you're not a client. And uh, he was, he was uh, pitching you like you were a client. And, and uh, so here you are. So she said, why don't you call him? So I said, I will. I called him and um, he said, I think you're terrific kid. He took me to lunch and he said, my office is composed of four, four of us agents and they don't know your work. They won't sign you on. But I will work with you to provided you know that we're limited. Uh, I don't I don't cover all the studios. I don't cover Universal. He said, but I do do CBS. I do do um, Paramount. So let let me poke around, see what I can do for you. And this was a joke we laughed at for years. He said, maybe we'll get lucky. And of course, (laughs) we did. (laughs) We rather did. We rather did. Yeah. So he sent me to um, to Gunsmoke. And it was a brilliant part. It was a wonderful part, a wonderful director. And uh, that, that began my whole thing in California. Coincidentally, most of the shows that I was doing were all on CBS. I was about to say, yeah, Gunsmoke was CBS all the way. Yeah. Absolutely. So I was, in fact, out of town on a CBS show when MASH reared and started seeing people, Gene and Larry Gelbart. Bert Metcalf started seeing people to cast my role. I came back from Hawaii Five-0. The original was Jack Lord, whom I adored, by the way. No, so I came back and uh, my agent called and um, he said, have you seen the movie MASH? I said, no. And she said, oh, wonderful. Well, okay, doesn't matter. He said, there's no script anyway. You don't have to read. You don't, you don't do anything but meet. It's a meet. And... Um, I have an appointment for you this afternoon with uh, Gene and Larry and Bert. And so I, um, uh, it was wonderful to tell you the truth. I didn't know they had been seeing 200, 300 women for this role. I was away with all the flap was going on about what this could be. And so I went and met them. I had fun. I was so relaxed. It was just, you know, a, another job, another, I didn't know much about the role or so <laughs> so i told my agent i'd like them and i had a good time and and we had an offer for a movie with olivia de Havilland, which i i said this is a win-win situation if i if i you know i can't lose here i worship this woman so out of courtesy my agent called 
them and said, called Gene and, and company, uh, said, I have an offer for movies for Loretta and some of the dates conflict with your pilot. So I'm just letting you know that uh, unless you've decided to, to book her, uh, she won't be available. And they and Gene took the call. And Gene said, oh, we honestly were just about to call you. We've decided to go with Loretta. And that's what happened. So there I was. And so as a consequence, I didn't bother to see the film. I read the book, but I didn't bother to see the film because why? And uh, anyhow, there I was being cast in this wonderful, wonderful uh, opportunity, wonderful people and and this uh, this glorious family of mine, this incredible, talented cast. And the writing just I it was um, very, very lucky. It was wonderful. It, 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 it's such a big topic. It, it's hard to know where to start. But I do have one question because I can't think of another example of a television series that was based on a motion, major motion picture and actually exceeded the picture. I mean, mashed by Robert Altman. You had great actors in, in your role. You had Sally Kellerman playing Hot Lips. Why do you think MASH was different? Because we see so many times when, when they try to take a successful movie and make a TV show of it, it's a total failure and flop. Why was MASH different? The two different mediums. I mean, to start with, you had, what, what 90 minutes, two hours? I don't know how long. And we had 11 seasons. People all over the world getting to know us like human beings, like family. Our writing, the writers I think also was timing. The synchronicity it was amazing. I mean, they had me from hello. We all fell in love with each other. Way Rogers <laughs> had this theory. It was very cold when we shot the pilot. The boys were wearing Hawaiian shirts. They were blue. I mean, it was, it was <laughs> cold. And after each take, we would just huddle. And you, you can't not get to know somebody when you're huddling that close and, and practically smooching. So that was his theory. That's why we, we all fell in love with each other, keeping warm. I mean, MASH inundated the audience. We were television, so it's like an octopus. That's, that's Television makes you famous, not necessarily film, you know, unless you're doing um, leading roles or, or you're De Niro or you're in Godfather, whatever. But, I mean... There are a lot of wonderful supporting actors working in film all the time who go around the unrecognized, who go around anonymously, you know, um, and and make a wonderful living, have a great, you know, time. But I think television is like a monster, just brings you into the kitchen, the bedroom, the parlor, the, you know, and the longevity, 11 years, we went into syndication in year three. We've never been off the air. It's 45 years. This show has been running for 45 years. So that's another reason. And um, we have all these little playlists, all these different episodes, whereas, uh, I again, I never saw the film from start to finish. But that's it's one shot. That's it. You know, that's it. There were little surprises every week for 11 years. You didn't know whether you were going to laugh or cry or both. It was God's gift to an actor. We know it. I mean, we, we knew it when it was happening. One year, Alan bought us T-shirts that, that read, 
the happiest crew in town. We were. We were. And everybody wanted to do the show. Everybody wanted to do the show. Well, and and my understanding is you have a very uh, deep relationship with a lot of the people from the the show uh, to this day. And unfortunately, you know, you've definitely lost some cast members over the year. Most recently, William William Christopher. Dear Bill, yes, we're we are a family. Let me tell you that we were uh, at a memorial. There was Gene and Bert. Of course, our Larry is gone, uh, Larry Linville as well is gone, but there was Mike Farrell, there was Jamie Farr, there was Loretta Swift, there were some writers, Dan Wilcox, Thad Mumford. I mean, I can go on. We're, we're a family. That's it. I mean, at any given point, if you ask me, uh, what, what's Gary up to or what's, what's Mike doing? I know. I know. And they know where I am and what I'm doing. And they come to see me or I go to, it's family. It's just a family. So when occasionally I'll, I'll be doing an interview and somebody will say, do you ever see anybody? Do I ever? No, let me explain something to you. I, I've talked to a lot of people from a lot of classic shows and you get the sense that, you know, maybe they haven't seen their, their castmates for years. It seems like it's a very unique situation. Yes, it, it, it is. It doesn't, it doesn't happen just because you're together for any great length of time. It can be horrible if it's not a happy thing. If you're together because you want it to be over or whatever. But this was, uh, we kept postponing the end. Uh, we didn't want it to end. And then finally, you get to a point, especially the writers, um, Larry Gelbart would say, you know, there are just so many stories that you can tell. He said, there are seven stories in the whole world. What you do to them is what makes it different. You put a twist and a curve on different stories and you get different things. But he said, you can do it for just so long before you start repeating yourself, before you start disappointing yourself, you know. And boy, they did a colossal job. For 11 years, it was a little bit of a miracle every every week that give us some jewel of a script to work on. Alan wrote um, Comrade in Arms. It was our first two-parter, and it was Margaret and and uh, Pierce together in a way, you know, that you believed. It was uh, extraordinary. And your character evolved over the years from the years when she was with uh, uh, Frank Burns and Larry Linville and was very kind of a stickler and that, and, and it evolved. So the, the characters changed over time. They had, she had to, we would have meetings. I was, the writers called me, we had a conference call and they said, all right, because I had been after them. I said, I know you love the joke. It's hard to let go of it, but Larry and I have really run the gamut. You cannot continue to rely on this silly relationship. You're writing her brighter. You're writing him sillier. She is an efficient, officious head nurse who has no respect for his lack of skill as a surgeon. Already you have a problem. Secondly, he's married. You have a second problem. Okay, she's lonely. There's no one else or whatever, but it can work just so long before the actors themselves cannot justify this relationship. Because we played the truth of everything, even if it's funny and silly, you're still playing the truth. So they took it to heart and they said, okay, what do you see in her future? I said, I think she goes to Tokyo for some R&R and she meets somebody 
who outranks Frank, and he's single, and he's tall, and he's attractive. <laughs> Penobscot, wasn't it? <laughs> uh-huh. Donald Penobscot. And I said, um, she gets engaged and comes back to the 407 7th with the news. I said, can you see Linville? <laughs> so he tore off the, the doors to the mess tent when he found out. <laughs> Yeah. And so uh, then Jean said, and then what I said, they get married. Can you see Harry giving me away, Klinger giving me my my bridal gown? I mean, it's it's made in heaven, this, this material. I'm not making it up. You've got it there, you know. And uh, it was uh, wonderful. And so Jean said, that's a little permanent. And of course, he was divorced at the time. And I said, how can you say that? No, I said, she um, finds out he's been disloyal and she uh, gets a divorce and she's back in town. And actually, they actually named one of the episodes, Hot Lips is Back in Town. (laughs) Because she, uh, so the evolution was tremendous because she found out after the divorce that she didn't have to rely on another human being to complete her life, that she she had this rich, fulfilling relationship with her work. And we brought in her father. We, I mean, we learned a lot about the characters. And But speaking for myself with Margaret, we learned a lot about her. My friend, Marsha Rod, played my girlfriend from a nursing school. And she comes to visit and she remarks how much I've changed, how serious I am, how much fun I used to be and what happened and so forth. And through her eyes, we find out a little more about Margaret and how responsible she felt being in charge of these nurses, being so close to the front, blah, blah, blah. So that it, but it was the writing. <laughs> you can't do it without those wonderful wonderful writers. They made it easy. And and one, and you being very generous with your time, you don't want to take all of your time, but I do want to mention this. Another thing that they really did, the writers and the crew and the cast members at MASH, as people maybe left for different reasons and new people stepped in, you know, I, I mean, you had a lot of turnover. You, you had Wayne Rogers left, Mike Farrell comes in, McLean Stevenson leaves. You see, the, the brilliance of that casting and and the production. The producers didn't didn't ever replace. A new person came in bringing their own note, bringing to this cacophony of sound that the MASH menagerie made. It was a whole different, like Wayne. Wayne would enter the mess tent with a glitter and gleam in his eye, and you knew he was looking for trouble. Mike's character was a happily married man with a little girl, and he just was true blue and uh, a good doctor, very dedicated. It's totally, totally different. You had uh, Winchester, with David Ogden, Winchester, brilliant, brilliant actor. And you had him come in with his note, a little snobby, a little posh, a little Boston, and you know, and and you watched him evolve and be affected by us and by by the environment. And, uh, of course, you had wonderful, wonderful Bill um, doing The Priest. I, uh, when, when they called me for a quote uh, when Bill died, uh, I said, I honestly believe that this man brought people back to the church. You know, with his interpretation of Father Mulcahy, 
people, I, I just know they fell in love with his humanity and his manner of handling the priesthood and people. And, you know, so, but I mean, it was genius. It was uh, absolutely genius. And of course, Harry Morgan, everybody was totally in love with him. He was regular army and he was one of the boys. Now that's, that's a tough line to you, but he did it. He did it. We were pals and he was in charge as well. It was just absolutely wonderful. He was Margaret's commanding officer and he was Margaret's father, Margaret's friend, Margaret's confessor. But, you know, he was everything to everybody off camera as well. Again, it added a note of family. It it just uh, was brilliant, brilliant. I have to ask this. Once you're in a show, and, and very, I think very few actors have an opportunity to be in a show like MASH, but when you're in a, something like MASH, and there are only a handful of series like that in television history to begin with, but when you're in a project like that, does it kind of spoil it for everything going forward? You know, it doesn't have to. It depends on how you see that glass, whether it's half full or half empty. You, you taste the richness of that of that dessert, of that meal, let's say. And yes, the, the next time a meal is offered to you, it's, um, it's not quite up to your taste buds, let's say. Well, what do you do? Can you enrich it yourself? Can you make it better? Or can you pass and go on to the next? Or do you create your own? Or do you go back to your original medium, which is the stage, where you have a different kind of challenge and a different kind of offering to make. I love the stage. I love the immediacy of the stage. I never thought of MASH as, quote, television exactly. It was, we shot on film, we shot out of sequence, we shot like movies. And MASH, even though their category was sitcom, (laughs) God, I don't like that word, but even though that was our category, that's not who we were. So who were we? We weren't a drama. No, we weren't. Who were we? Dramedy. They say they made up that word for us. I don't know who we were. We were mash. It was sort of uh, a thing apart that was on television, that was televised, but it was just, it was mash. And it's hard to explain. You had to be there. You had to watch it happen and evolve. And, um, very often in our uh, nostalgic notes, there'll be reference to that. We were there. We were there. We understand. We can talk in shorthand and we can talk in Greg or Pittman because we were there. We understand each other. And our memories are like a tapestry of love and, and friendship. And um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a blessed way to live. It was a blessed miracle. And um, make that happen. It's and you can't recreate it necessarily. You know, you go into another show and oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna make good friends like I did the last time. Well, that doesn't always work. It doesn't always happen that way. But for for this miracle happenstance, we all just fit like a glove on a hand, and we. We uh, still love each other, and, and, and we have our memories. We can make each other laugh sometimes with just 
a word or two, you remember that, oh my God, yes, and then we're we're convulsed, it's gone. I mean, when we got up to speak at Bill's memorial, for example, we had people, people were crying, but they were also laughing at some of our, our memories of sharing Bill and, and his humor and his, um, you know, but uh, you had to be there, and we were. Yeah, it's a, it's an amazing legacy, amazing program. Uh, we we've had an opportunity to talk to people like Ed Asner and and other greats about their their shows. And uh, really, when you talk to someone who is in something like Mash, I mean, it's just amazing to to get the insight. It's absolutely fascinating. Yes, and and I uh, sometimes interviewers uh, pull back a little, and they say, "Do you mind if I talk about?" It? You know, I don't mind. It's it's certainly one of my favorite subjects, and I can go on and on about it because I was there for so long and had all those experiences, and I'm happy to share them because they're they're such wonderful things to share. But um, now Ed Asner is truly there's an icon for you if we're looking to use the word properly. He's amazing, and I had the blessed opportunity to share the stage with with Ed. Ed has been doing uh, FDR, and I've been doing Eleanor. And um, we have we don't do it together. We shorten both scripts, and we meet at the bow. But um, I, sometimes Ed goes first, sometimes I do. But uh, we play those characters, and then <laughs> we, we chuckle at intermission, and then one of us goes back on, does the second act, and then we, we meet at the curtain. But I adore this man. I adore him. So you're talking about real quality there, I'm sure, when he's uh, waxing either about Mary Tyler or then Luke Grant taking over. Into, he's a brilliant actor. I've seen him do so many diverse things. I mean, where will the real Ed Asner please stand up? He's a <laughs> remarkable, he, remarkable. He was great. He was a very nice man. And sometimes I find the, the, the bigger the star, the nicer they are many times. Uh, I always find that. Always. It's always, always. I've never seen it fail. Yeah, it is funny, isn't it? Now, and and you're the and you're in that same category. You're one of those people who is a TV legend who has come on and been so kind. So I want to make sure that we get one last chance to promote your current project, Sweetheart, and anything else that you're doing that you'd like to tell people about. Well, this Sunday, uh, for example, I'm going to be having a book signing at Pottery Barn on 67th Street and Broadway. They wonderful people came to us. They were so excited about the book. And uh, I'm going to be there from one to three, signing signing the book. And Bidewee, who's one of my colleagues, my my comrade in arms, uh, Bidewee is the oldest shelter in Manhattan, by the way. And they are they are wonderful. They do wonderful work. We've uh, joined hands with them, as I tried to describe about the um, alliance. They're going to bring some adorable little kitties that are going to roam all around the desk as I'm signing, and they're up for adoption. They're all fixed and ready for for loving homes. And um, so it becomes um, one big revolving door. Everything is attaching itself to the next thing. I, um, I did a series called Those Incredible Animals. Well, there I was in front of a camera, which is my favorite place to be. And I was having hands on uh, and, and eyeballing some of 
the most extraordinary animals. And oh, they were sitting on my lap and I was talking about their joys, their plight, their existence, and how we could make it better and whatever. And it was great. Uh, I was um, I was doing kind of everything that I love all at once. I was caring about animals and and I was uh, shooting a series and it was uh, tremendous. So I feel the same way about the connection here. And um, it's it's amazing how all of my passions are dovetailing into each other, you know, like the book. And I was doing a wonderful play in Palm Springs at the Annenberg Theater called Six Dance Lessons in Six Weeks. It's a wonderful play about love and friendship against ageism, against um, presupposing something or, or a judgmental. It's again, it, it teaches a lot and it's funny, entertain, entertaining. It's wonderful, a wonderful co-star. It's a two-hander. I do it with David Engel, who is a dear friend now. I mean, we've, we've met and worked together and just uh, are very dear friends. And we love doing this play. We love what it gives the audience. So, of course, while I was there, I got to see the beautiful shelter in Palm Springs. I did some book signings. So it's a happy time for me that all of these things are happening and holding hands with each other. They're all uh, about my life and what I'm trying to, to accomplish. Well, I thank you so much for joining us today on the program, and I wish you the best with Sweetheart. I'm assuming folks can get that wherever fine books are sold? Well, they can get it online. It's Sweetheart.com. Everything is all about Sweetheart. Sweetheart.com. You can get a glimpse into my website and see what's going on, and you can see pages of the book, but you can also buy it. Uh, on on the website, uh, which would be preferable if uh, I, I feel people are buying the book, not only because they would like the, the uh, memento, but uh, because the money is going to charity. If you buy it on Amazon, they you should know that they keep fifty five percent of the um, of the money, and so less money will go to the foundation for the animals. If I, mean, I think it's just important for you to know that going in. But Amazon, I'm sure, is still carrying it, and um, it's on my my website, and um, that's how you can do it. But you can uh, learn also a lot about what's going on in my life. Uh, I'm working on putting this tour together for six dance lessons, and hope to take it to Australia, New Zealand, Hong Kong. It's going to be uh, a wonderful ride, a wonderful ride, and just I'm just going to keep going until you don't want me anymore. Well, I don't think that's going to happen. So you've got a long run ahead of you. <laughs> Loretta Sweat, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me in. Well, thank you for listening to that interview. What an honor to get to talk to someone like Loretta Sweat about such a great television program that will go on and on and on because great television does live forever. And we like to keep it alive here at the Great TV Podcast. Thank you for listening. And I hope that you will rate, and review, and subscribe because we want to have many more editions of this program. We'll talk to you next time. Stay tuned and have a great week, everybody. Bye-bye.